Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. So for the second show in our new lineup, this is the Around the, Around the League show. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by my co-host, Tim Shields. The way this is going to work is for the first 15 minutes of the podcast, we're going to discuss the rookies around the league, what they're showing us. Is there anybody that's really beating expectations would be the best way to put that. After the break, half, we'll have a, a 10 second break after 15 minutes. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the moves that have been made. Some buyouts have been happening. Some teams have been making some veteran additions that could improve their potential during the playoff time, notably the Clippers and the Rockets. So let's jump straight into this. Is there any Rockies that have really surprised you? I mean, John Morant's obviously been the feel-good story of the season. He came in with a really high reputation. And to me, he's one of the most fun young guys to watch in the league at the moment. I mean, he's definitely not a surprise. I think I expected him to play at a high level. I think what he's doing right now with the Grizzlies is playing some incredibly inspired basketball. I I did not expect him to be doing better than Zion Williamson, but I also didn't expect... Zion Williamson to be missing so much time. That being said, it's it's good to see both of those guys going out and balling out. Uh, one interesting tidbit from the All-Star game, too, I just want to say, um, in terms of young guys that are getting some serious recognition, it was the first time since, I think, back when Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and LeBron James, I think from 2006 to 2009, that you had two guys who were playing not only in the All-Star game, but also playing in the Rising Stars Challenge, which was Luka Doncic and Trey Young. So I just thought that was cool, something to mention there. But outside of those top two, there haven't been too many guys that have been surprising me. I think uh, Rui Hachimura for the Wizards is starting to pop up there a little bit. I, I don't know how long he's missed in terms of injuries, um, and it does hurt his case you know, to be in that Rookie of the Year conversation, but he's a guy that I really, really, really like it where he's at with the Wizards, and I think he could do a lot of damage if he develops in the right way. So the two of the rookies that I've really liked are Tyler Herro. I think he's been fantastic. Phenomenal sharpshooter. I think he's going to be around in the league for quite a while. And then undrafted rookie Kendrick Nunn has been, I've really liked watching Kendrick Nunn play. Solid fundamentals, great motor. He's been, I've kind of been looking at him like, man, why couldn't Boston have had a look at this guy? He could have helped with that guard rotation, added some Maybe a scoring punch, but he's more of a ball handler, so I can understand why they didn't really take a closer look at him. Moving further away from that, is there any mid-level rookies? I mean, Romeo Langford, obviously, he's showing he was a lottery pick, showing flashes, but he hasn't been given the opportunity to really shine this far in. Who else have you been looking at, Tim? I mean, what other teams have you been watching around the league during the first half of the season? Uh, I would definitely be looking at the Hawks, specifically when it comes to DeAndre Hunter and uh, Cam Reddish. I think that those are two guys that, if Atlanta knows how to get these guys to play together and to mesh well, they could have some really, really strong young guys in their rotation for a long time. Uh, One of the things I'm happy about is that they didn't deal John Collins, just because right now they have this really awesome young nucleus. And you see this often in the NBA where you have a team that's been bad for a few years and they go ahead and they gather talent through trades and smart drafting 
and you always kind of want to see how they end up making it work long term. So Atlanta is definitely a team that I would look at as well as another Grizzly player to look at would be Brandon Clark. He was a guy that I had high up on my draft boards. I really, 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 really wanted the Celtics to draft him. At the end of the day, we didn't get him, but he's still a player that I very much like to watch, and he is just a perfect example of what a guy can do in the right situation. I've, I've had a lot of people message me about Brandon Clark in the DM saying how the Celtics missed a beat on him. Then you've got that guy whose name I can't pronounce, Miller Chulik. He he smoked the Celtics a few weeks back. You know the guy I mean? Oh, the Pistons guy. Yeah, dude. He's been phenomenally good. Another guy, I mean, we'll be amiss to not mention RJ Barrett in this conversation. I feel like that's somebody that at least needs to be mentioned. Started off really hot. Hit that rookie wall kind of early, considering. I mean, usually rookies don't start hitting that wall until around about just after the All-Star break, just coming into that break. RJ Barrett hit it quite early, which is fine. They're going to hit a wall eventually, whether it be early or later. When you're not in the playoff contention, it doesn't really make a difference. You let them play through it, break through that barrier. Everybody plateaus, and the the point of plateauing is to keep chipping away until you break that ceiling and then you break into a new level of skills. Happens in all sports, happens in most aspects of life. Once you hit that plateau, that's when the frustrations kick in. I'm quite high on RJ Barrett. I feel like he's going to be a really good piece alongside with Mitch Robinson over in New York. Not so big on Frank. Dennis Smith Jr. has had a very rough few years following that breakout year in his first year. Other than that, the rookies seem to be kind of par for course, right? I mean, it was a good draft class. A lot of role players been involved. Those are the big names. Obviously, Zion, if we don't mention Zion, we'll get shot. I mean, I mentioned him in passing, you know. Yeah, I mean, Zion, for all the talk of rookie of the year, I do understand that Zion should be in the conversation just because of his general skill set and ability and that transcendent, the way he can transcend the league long term. He could eventually become the face of the league if he can stay healthy. But as far as I'm concerned, at this moment in time, it has to be Ja Morant. Without question. I think there really isn't too much debate to be had there. I don't think the Grizzlies expected... This this season, I don't think it expected to be a fringe playoff team. I know no one in Boston expected that or hoped for it. But Ja is a guy that you can really root for in terms of his style of play. He's electric. He's aggressive. He's going at guys. He's not afraid to talk smack. You know, I love one of my favorite plays this year was there was one where like James Harden was like, yeah, go ahead, shoot the three, shoot the three. And Ja just goes ahead and like, foot and a half behind the three-point arc just drains one and is just immediately talking smack as he's going back down the floor. Yeah, and I mean, I understand. I read a piece the other day. I think it was on ESPN. I might be wrong. It was definitely, I read a hell of a lot of basketball stuff. And it was saying that if you don't have Zion in your rookie of the year argument yet, wait until the end of the regular season and see that, see where he stands at that point because a lot of people are saying that by the end of the year, he's going to have done some crazy stuff and he will be the number one consensus rookie of the year pick. I don't think that's fair. I think John Morant's shown he could stay, if he stays healthy, he can stay healthy. He can lead an offense. He made Iguodola look kind of silly for making that decision to sit out and then ask for the trade. And then for the teams to actually be good with Jarrett Jackson Jr., John Morant, a solid gun core. I think Iggy would have really helped elevate them and they wouldn't be a fringe playoff team. They'd be a solid sixth or seventh seed maybe. So that was a, it's quite interesting to see how that played out. 
doesn't bode well for Boston. I mean, that pick, Sacramento pick last year, Grizzlies pick this year, it's not the nicest of, uh, not the nicest of ways that can play out when you figure, when you're hoping that you're going to get two lottery picks out of that long term. Yeah. It also is just one of those things where, where you have to recognize that those picks are just found money at this point. Not every pick that we can get from a team is going to turn into a lottery pick. Yeah, they had lottery protections, but teams know how to draft out there. Teams that are established or have a history of winning can manage to get the right picks. I will say with the Sacramento situation, I think they kind of walked you know, backwards into a decent season, and then they immediately went ahead, fired the coach that got them there, and now they're back in the stinker. Sorry, Brendan. Um, outside of that, you know, I think the Grizzlies were very good for a long time, and then they had to rebuild due to the fact that their core aged out. And I mean, we ended up getting that pick because of Jeff Green, right? And that was a through a, a changing of hands. I think he, I think we dealt him to the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies dealt him to the Clippers, and we somehow ended up with the Grizzlies pick. So, point being is just you kind of just do whatever you can with these picks, and you see what happens. But I think what the Grizzlies have is potentially a long-term vision. And I do agree with Iguodala stepping out on that. I just, I I don't understand why he didn't try to stick it out or at least try and see where it's going to happen. I think maybe it's just a matter of effort. He didn't want to have to go through the Clippers. He didn't want to have to go through the Lakers. Maybe he thinks that it'll be easier with the Miami Heat. Either way, the dude still went out and got paid, even though he didn't play any time really at all. The Grizzlies never. So, I don't know. I think there's going to be some issues with the CBA with that kind of thing, but I digress. So let's talk about second-year players now because this has interested me a lot, and I like to look at this a year removed. You have all the talk of Rookie of the Year, all these guys that are making a splash during their first season. Some guys, it takes a little bit longer to get acclimated to the league. If you look at guys who are in their second year, who's really standing out for you? Obviously, you've got Luka Doncic. For me, SGA's had a phenomenal second season. He's here to stay. Who else do you feel around the league at the moment who's in their second year is really taking that step? I mean, as you said, Donkic is probably the leader of the pack for me in terms of his second season. I do think Trey Young's really good. He's shown a lot. I just don't know how much of the Hawks' woes are on him versus you know just the way that the Hawks are put together. Those are two guys that I look at. I really wish that we kind of got to see SGA more with the Clippers. I know that they ended up dealing him in order to create what they have now with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but it would have been nice to see what they could do with him in LA. Now that he's with the Thunder and everything, it's still good, but I don't know. I felt like we got robbed of that opportunity. It's rare that you kind of see that kind of talent come into the league in the way that he did where no one was expecting that level of play. And now he could consistently be an all-star. And I think he, if he was in the right situation, he could have potentially been an all-star this year. He was debatable all-star and he missed the cut, but I don't know. He's a, he's a guy that I really, really enjoy to watch. Two guys I've been enjoying quite regularly when a league passes on if the Celtics aren't playing are Kevin Huerta, along with Trey Young. Those two are a really, really nice little tandem. And the other guy that I've been enjoying watching considerably as much as I can, to be fair, quite regularly, has been Wendell Carter Jr. He's probably one of my favorite bigs who's under 25 at the moment. Then... Again, if you're looking at players that have took that jump this year instead of last year, you can't miss out Di Vincenzo as well. He's doing quite well from Milwaukee. And he had unfortunate luck last year where his season got shortened by injuries. The Bucks didn't have him for the playoffs at all. So he was a guy that I really, really 
really liked out of Villanova, and I was hoping that the Celtics would have a chance to draft him. But that's one of those situations where stuff happens. But. Kevin Knox, however, is having a torrid, torrid time, dude. That's why it's hard for me to get high in any of these picks for the Knicks. They just managed to, I don't know, I guess, what's the best word to put it? Bungle? They bungle the situation. <laughs> they completely just fumbled the bag. <laughs> they keep getting all these like picks, and they just never make it work. As I'm scrolling down further down the list, just to see who else got picked, obviously you've got... Oh, my Chulak was last year's pick. He wasn't this year's pick. I, I stand corrected there. Bates Diop has been quite reasonable as well. He was picked quite low. Who else is the Landry Shamet? I mean, we can't talk about second-year players without talking about Landry Shamet. I still can't believe that he ended up on the Clippers after all that. I can't believe he got cooked by Kemba regularly. <laughs> Regularly. He's a nice player, man. He's a nice player. He's um, I've I've been describing him as the second coming of JJ Redick long term. Very that similar skill That set. makes Philly look very dumb, doesn't it? <laughs> very, very similar skill sets. He's exactly what Philly need right now as well. That that floor space in guard that can just shoot lights out from deep. Oh, real shame. <laughs> yeah, my heart bleeds, dude. Oh yeah, I'm so upset. But by the way, before I before we go on anywhere else, do you know what Kevin Huerto's nickname is? No. Red Velvet. Oh, dude, I like it. I <laughs> it's like perfect. Did <laughs> I tell you who I haven't been impressed with, though? And I kind of highly dislike the guy. I don't think he's liked very much by most fans. Is Grayson Allen. Oh, come on, man. He is... Oof. I, I always forget like about him until we're playing them, and then I'm like, oh, this guy again. I still remember in a summer league game, he was pulling some dirty stuff, and he almost got tossed. The dude's just dirty, dude. I'm not a fan. I don't like the way he plays. I remember Boston were taking a look at him at one point. I'm glad they didn't during take that. Him. Obviously, they're quite big. They've been quite big on personality and fit, so they must have saw some red flags there. And then you got Mitch Robinson. He's obviously we've mentioned him a, a shortly ago, but second year player to me. I would love to see him in a Celtics uniform. It's not going to happen, but he would be the guy that. He would be the big that the Celtics need right now, that rim-running, shot-blocking presence. I really like him. I feel like Rob Williams, if he'd stayed injury-free and been on a team where he could play through his mistakes the way Mitchell Robinson was allowed to be, they'd have very similar skill sets and maybe a similar trajectory. And they still could. I think it's just, as you said, it needs to be the amount of time that he needs to play and develop. And these injuries that keep setting him back, those are really what's doing him in. It's not for lack of effort or lack of understanding. I think if he were healthy this year and didn't miss as much time, then we would probably see what this team would be at at their full potential. And then the last guy we're going to talk about before we head over to break, because there's quite a few things we need to talk about that are happening around the league that aren't rookie-related, is Mo Bamba, one of the only rookies I've ever known to come into the league with a hip-hop song already out. I'd say hit. It was popular at one point. How do you feel about him? I like the song. The song, the song was catchy. To be fair, <laughs> Mo Bamba. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Mo Bamba is in a bad place. I don't think he's, I don't think he's a bad player. I think you're in a similar situation that Philly was a little while ago, where they have all of these bigs, and they just can't make them work. They've got too many players that play the same positions. Now with Jonathan Isaac out. I would hope that Mobamba would be trying to seize the opportunity, but 
he's kind of been middle of the pack. I just want to give a shout out to Lonnie Walker. I don't know why, but I feel like we should at least mention his name slightly before we head into break. Mm-hmm. I like his hair. <laughs> I like his hair. He isn't too bad, man, to be fair. And he's getting great tutelage underneath Pop. Yeah, that's the one thing that's going to help him long term is sticking with a coach like Pop. Yeah, I mean, Jalen and Jason and Kemba only spent a very brief time with him in Team USA and look what that's done. Not saying anything like that Pop has revolutionized them, but it can't hurt to pick up some tips from one of the greatest coaches of all time. No doubt. Right, we're going to head off the break, guys. We're going to grab ourselves a drink. You do the same. You're going to have about 15 seconds to do so, so put on your flash suit and get to it. When we come back, we'll start looking at what's going on with teams around the league, predominantly playoff teams, because that's what everybody's interested in. There's been some moves that have happened, so let's have a look what's going on over there. We'll be back shortly. And we're back. So during the recording of this podcast, Shams dropped a tweet, so I'm just going to read that, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but John Beeline and the Cavaliers are expected to part ways with Beeline walking away from the remainder of his deal. It's got that bad, he doesn't even want to get compensated. Like a really bad situation at this point now. Cavs are going to be on their sixth coach in the past seven seasons. I mean, for me, it goes more along the lines of Beeline is like, one of the greatest college coaches of modern era. He's rebuilt two different college teams. Their entire system from the ground up, he's made them both very respectable and left both teams in great shape. He's held off from coming into the NBA for this long. And then for his first taste of the NBA to be like this, coming into a rebuilding team and only being given six months to really imprint anything with no major trades, not many building blocks. Kevin Love that's via visibly frustrated. He hasn't exactly been given much time to make anything happen. I understand that people have got problems with his with his rotations and his lack of adjustments, but it's a learning curve for him coming into the NBA just as much as it is for the team being so young and then just having Kevin Love as their main vet. I feel like he's been put in a position that he couldn't really win. And I hope he go. I'm sure there'll be multiple colleges lining up to give him the bag to go and take over one of their system, their programs. Yeah, as you said, he left Michigan in order to take this job with Cleveland, and it just didn't pan out. Sometimes that happens with some of the great coaches from college ball. It doesn't always translate, which is one of the things that goes to show that just with Brad Stevens, the Celtics really have a good coach, someone who's able to consistently improve the roster year to year. I will say there were a couple altercations. As you said, Kevin Love was having some serious issues, uh, as well as there was an altercation with Tristan Thompson. And probably the most notable thing that Beeline did that upset players was referring to the players as thugs, claiming he misspoke and trying to say that he was trying to call them slugs. And he said that in a team-only meeting, and that managed to get out, and it seemed like players after that point, I would imagine, probably bought out. I can see that happening. I understand it. A slip of a tongue doesn't make it any less bad. It doesn't change the fact that what you said is what you said or what they heard is what they heard, depending on how that actually went down. Nobody was there to, between us two, neither of us were there to really lean on either side. 
What I will say is, though, during Brad's first year, there were multiple times in press conferences where he was talking about how much quicker the game moves and how how little time you have to make adjustments on the fly and how that took a lot of adaption for him throughout his first year. Beeline wasn't given the opportunity to to learn on that curve the same way Brad was. Brad came into a system with a front office that's very, very cemented and entrenched in the culture they're trying to move forwards to, whereas Beeline has come into a team in a state of flux that they don't know whether they want to contend, they don't know whether they want to rebuild. They've got pieces to kind of retool or pieces to rebuild but they're kind of straddling the line with not really many assets. They've got cap space coming into the summer, but no player's really going to want to go there the way things are at the moment. I feel sorry for the guy. I really, really do feel sorry for the guy. I think it just comes down to the fact that he lost the locker room. I think that's really where it, it led to this. I think it was a tough season. As you said, he did not have that much time to adjust, and sometimes things just don't pan out, but he really wasn't given an opportunity. And as soon as he lost the locker room, they just pulled the plug. So there must be some serious internal issues with that locker room for that to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if ownership overstepped because that's kind of just the MO of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So now casting our eyes out West, the Clippers have made a move as well, picking up a veteran, nice savvy move. Do you want to take the reins on that, Tim? You're the one that messaged me about it first. Yeah, so... Ultimately, the Cavaliers went ahead and got, or sorry, <laughs> transitioning over, uh, the Clippers, rather. Well, we were talking about the Clippers. Uh, they ended up getting Reggie Jackson. He agreed to a contract buyout with the Pistons, and he's planning to sign with the Clippers as soon as he clears waivers. So it's a really big move for the Clippers who not only add another veteran scoring presence to the bench, but he's one of the best players that was available on the buyout market. And on top of them getting him into their locker room. They're avoiding him going to the Lakers. So it's improving their bench, strengthening, raising their floor in terms of what is the worst that they can be in the playoffs and immediately taking it away from their direct threat and rival in the Western Conference. So that was a big move. And this is also on the, you know, on the tail of Marcus Morris getting traded from the Knicks to the Clippers. And this also signals that the Pistons are really by, really going all in on this rebuild, buying out Jackson. It gives them, I'm assuming they're going to use the stretch provision on this. So it gives them a little bit more flexibility to start rebuilding. They've still got Blake. I'm assuming he's going to be on the trade block come this summer. It, as you say, it does raise the Clippers floor, gives them another guard that they can use in the rotation. At this point, I am really heavily leaning on the Clippers to be in the NBA Finals come the end of playoffs. It seems to be that way. It's funny with the whole Morris situation, how it panned out. Uh, and we will brush upon this as well, just because it, it does affect what just happened with San Antonio as well before we get over to the buyouts in that situation. Uh, Marcus Morris ends up turning heel, not signing with the Spurs. After the Spurs cleared up cap space in order to get him, he ended up signing with the Knicks. Knicks gave him more money. Knicks ended up flipping him at the deadline, and now he's on a contender with a chance to legitimately win a championship ring. You called it the ultimate finesse. I stand by that. I stand by it. Dude got the bag. Yeah, I didn't like it at first. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Pop. I like the Spurs culture. I like the way that they... If you're getting on in age and you're coming towards the end of your career, going to San Antonio can add two to three years on of production. Uh, simply just because of the way Pop can manage your minutes, the way he can help you change the way you play to take a little bit of the load off those knees and that back. So I feel like that could have been a good 
deal for Morris, but the way this was played out and the fact that he's contending for a ring now, I'm more than happy to say that he that finesse pulled off and it went really, really in his favour. It was a really impressive business decision by Morris, but it didn't look that way when he was signing a deal with the Knicks. No, the optics were pretty bad on that, you know, mainly because San Antonio, just to set the machine back a little bit for you, uh, San Antonio was clearing up cap space. That's how Davis Bertans ended up on the Wizards. So that was a three-team deal that led to San Antonio dealing with Davis Bertans. Wizards got Bertans. Uh, the Nets were involved. They got the rights to Aaron White. And the Spurs got Damari Carroll. Now I'm revisiting this because Damari Carroll just got a contract buyout agreement sorted out with the Spurs. So Carroll right now is on his way to sign with Houston to sign with the Rockets. Uh, at this point in time, the real big thing with that is San Antonio still has three years of money owed for the Damari Carroll deal. So they're going to be paying $2.3 million for this year on his contract, $6.7 for next year, and then the year after that for 2021-22 is going to be $1.35 mil. So they have three years of cap hits for a guy that they literally only acquired to open up cap space for Marcus Morris. They dealt away Bertans for essentially nothing at this point now. And the big kicker with that is the way the Wizards ended up acquiring Davis Bertans from the Wizards is they had a trade exception. That trade exception was earned when they traded away Markeith Morris to the Pelicans the season before. It's it's a tough one. I feel really sorry for the Spurs. Honestly, I do. I like the way it's... But it's worked out great for Marcus Morris. So as a decision, a career decision, it, he bet on himself on one. That one-year deal makes it... He's got a player option as well, right? Or a team option. I think it's a team option. I think it's a team option. Yeah, it'll be because the Knicks signed a bunch of guys on one plus ones, all team options, because they wanted to hedge their bets for this year's salary, this year's free agency. And then again, they'll have the cap space to start chasing the big names in next year's free agency. So they played it quite smart, to be fair. But Morris bet on himself, and he's coming out a bit smelling like roses at the moment. It is harsh on how the Spurs handled it, but it, they, the teams treat the league like a business, so you can't get mad at the players for doing the same when it when it happens on on the reverse. The other guy I want to mention, just because that tweet's dropped while we're on the podcast as well is Mark Stein just released a tweet saying Kyrie Irving has re-aggravated the knee injury that's kept him out for 26 games, I think it is, so far. And he's going to be out on definitely, indefinitely, sorry. Uh, that was confirmed by Coach Kenny Atkinson around about five minutes ago while we've been recording this. So the Nets are without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for what looks probably like the remainder of the season. Feels like Kyrie's sitting out until KD's fit and ready to go to. That's tough. They're basically throwing this year for sure. I mean, they knew that once they signed Kevin Durant, you, they weren't going to compete for any form of honors while their best player and arguably one of the top five players in the league before, even when he comes back from these injuries, one of the best players in the league sitting out injured. And then you've got Kyrie Irving that without throwing shade is a phenomenal guy, but he's not enough to take you to a finals on his own. You move D'Angelo Russell, I'm a big fan of Jarrett Allen. I don't think DeAndre Jordan was the best guy to go and get. That was more just to keep KD and Kyrie happy. I'm not too upset if things start going wrong over in Brooklyn. Maybe they'll make a deal and we'll get another six years worth of picks. We don't know. <laughs> we, can, we can only hope. Let's, let's leave that at that. So the last thing that we really need to touch on now is you want to look at the front office for Boston. 
And that's really it, right? Is there anything you can see Boston doing now? At this point, I think it's just the waiting game. I think the situation with the Cavaliers, if John Byline's getting let go, you have to see what's going to happen with their coaching situation. If there's going to be any other players that end up asking for a buyout, I know Tristan Thompson was rumored, but he probably won't because of bird rights and X, Y, and Z. So I'm so far against that anyway that it, it yeah, makes know. me happy to not happen. <laughs> I know, but I, I still think at this point in time, unless it's a major move or a significant contributor could potentially come in and raise the floor of the Celtics, I don't think they're going to do any moves. And that's super hard to do during the buyout market as well. Teams are picking these guys up almost as soon as they get bought out. Boston would have to waive somebody, so then that's a decision first. Like, who do we cut? Then by the time they've made that decision, whoever they were chasing has probably already been snapped up. The Clippers being a prime example with Reggie Jackson. I do know that you wanted to touch on Houston as well, picking up two wings. Yeah, so tying back to the whole Damari Carroll situation, so he ended up having the buyout from the Spurs, and now he's going to sign with the Rockets, as well as Jeff Green. Jeff Green uh, had already been, I believe, waived. He was signed for a vet minimum deal with the Jazz, and so he played 30 games with Utah and then was waived. And so he's been sitting on the couch waiting for another offer. So the Rockets basically went out and they got Green and Carroll for nothing, adding two veteran wings to their bench. While Green isn't exactly what he used to be in terms of the player or the expectation, he's still a very savvy vet who does all the little things that you need in terms of shooting threes, playing defense, and being able to move with the ball. That, and you're also adding Tabari Carroll, who's the tough defender. It's interesting to see how Houston's kind of not rebuilding on the fly, but retooling. You could say whatever you want about the, the Clint Capella trade. You could say they want it. You could say it was ridiculous, but... It's interesting to see how they're really leaning into this small ball movement with all these wings. I just, I wonder if whether or not they can handle a team like the Lakers in the playoffs. I genuinely don't think they can. I think the Lakers' size will be too much for them. They'll definitely give them a, a run for their money early in the series, but after six, five, four, five, six games, they're getting banged up down low with only a day or two recovery in between each game. It's going to be too much for them. They're going to get bruised, and that's the difference. When you've got big bodies getting bruised by other big bodies, it's impact that their bodies can take because they're similarly sized. When you've got P.J. Tucker getting bodied by DeMarcus Cousins, who isn't going to have much of his ball handling and dribbling skills, so he's just going to be posting up falls. Then you've got A.D. that's going to be dropping his shoulder into your chest as often as possible. To, it's, it's not going to bode well for them. They don't have the, the depth in their rotation to make to sustain that over a seven-game series against a big bruising team like the Lakers. Yeah, and this is the reason why they went out and they got a player like Anthony Davis so they could go ahead and just manhandle people in the paint. So it'll be interesting to see how these teams adapt to playoff basketball. As you said, where you're playing you know, every other night or every two nights, depending on the travel schedule. There's a lot of factors that go into playing a playoff series to your full potential. With Houston, I don't know how much of their play style is transferable. Not because of the small ball factor, but how reliant this team is on free throws. What happens when those calls aren't going your way? Well, that's when James Harden just starts dropping freeze on everybody's done. But it's not going to be sustainable. I, I can't see them getting further than the second round. If they do, it's by virtue of riding the hot hand, and then they get then they get bounced out in the semis anyway. 
So I think that pretty much wraps us up for today. The next episode will be airing on Friday, and that's the first episode in our Muck GM series. What we want to be trying to do, I doubt it will be on the first episode, but we want to be trying to bring on other media members that are experts in either their team or their field and using them as kind of a sounding board and what their team are looking for. And the point of doing this podcast, the Muck GM, is so that we can give an in-depth look in a, in a fun way of each team's roster construction and what they're looking to do going forward and dis- and then kind of replicating or mimicking discussions that we think might be happening behind the scene. It's just a bit of fun, but I'm sure it's going to be enjoyable. And the guests that we bring on are hopefully going to have fun with that too. So you'll catch me until on Friday. Remember, drop me the follow on Twitter at Adam Taylor NBA if you want to be part of the phone-ins, which are happening every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Number The number's the same each week, but the pin code to get into the group call, it changes. So if you're not following me, you're going to miss out on that. And we'll catch you again on Friday with the Mock GM episode number one. Tim, you got anything else you want to say before we say goodbye to these fine people? I can't wait till Friday. Celtics basketball, baby. <laughs> you know it, dude. Right then, guys, we'll catch you again soon. Later.